As a driven dentist, you see the world differently. Where some see scarcity, you see abundance. When others want to give up, you keep going. You're building an amazing life of significance. That means you can't rely on ordinary advice from ordinary advisors to get to your goals. You want advice that's going to help maximize your net worth so you can take even better care of the people you love, the causes you care about, and make your dent in the universe. But the fact is, this advice remains hidden because relatively few professionals are well-versed in them, and the extremely affluent don't care to let you know about them. Join us as we pull back the curtain to reveal the often hidden advice and strategies used by today's most successful individuals and families. Welcome to Dental Wealth Nation. Here's your host, Tim McNeely. Hey, welcome everyone to another edition of the Dental Wealth Nation show. And, and I don't know about you, but one of the things that concerns me is protecting everything that I've worked so hard for. And chances are you're concerned about protecting everything that you've worked so hard for from being unjustly taken from lawsuit, divorce, or even cyber crime. And that's why today is so important. And I'm so excited because by the time we finish today, you're going to know how to make protecting the assets of your practice easy. You're going to have peace of mind and really a starting point for adding some protections for the data that you have. And, and data these days is more valuable than oil and gold itself. But most importantly of all, you may feel just a little bit terrified as we share some of the stories, but we don't want to leave you there. We don't want to leave you terrified. We want to leave you optimistic and hopeful that you're going to have the tools and strategies to protect the data in your practice. And when it comes to protecting the assets of your dental practice, Amy Woods is one of the best. And what makes her so great is it, at this is early on in her career, she was a victim of herself of cyber crime. So she knows firsthand what it's like to get that call about a data breach. She has a passion for helping dentists move past the firewall and really being able to protect the data that's in your practice from cyber attacks. Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Tim. I'm happy to be here. Oh, I, I am just so excited about this topic because data is kind of important these days and, and data is valuable and hackers are out to get this. So give us a little bit of background of, of how you got started in helping dentists really protect the data in their practice and being protected against cybersecurity attacks. Uh, it really wasn't on purpose. I kind of fell into it out of uh, necessity. So I had been working in IT, mostly for dental practices in Northern California. Uh, and it turns out that HIPAA ended up applying to us as a business associate. And about the same time, I decided, you know, let's Let's just throw in orthognathic surgery for fun, because that sounds like we don't have enough on our plates as it is. And uh, during the, the healing time of that procedure and the second procedure and the third procedure, because it turns out I ended up rejecting my titanium and, and all my screws started unthreading themselves uh, and I had to have all of that taken out. About a year after all of that settled down, I got a letter in the mail saying that my dental x-rays, my panos from those surgeries ended up for sale on the dark web, along with my name, birth date, social security number, and my insurance medical record number. And you know, at first I thought, okay, that's not that big of a deal. It's just dental x-rays, who cares? And that's what most people think. And fast forward, you know, 10 years later, I've experienced financial identity theft, which is really, really hard as a business owner to deal with that. Uh, and I, last year I experienced medical identity theft. Someone impersonated me to try to procure medical services under my identity, namely, you know, major surgeries, wow. not just medications. Yeah. So it's, it's just keeps happening and it will for the rest of my life. And, that was kind of my aha moment that dental x-rays have a lot of value. And, uh, you know, I do a lot of work with various government agencies. And so I have access to information that the general public generally doesn't. And I know that I've been sold about 60,000 times. Oh, my God. <laughs> so something that happened that over a decade ago is still continuing to, to impact your life then it is really what I'm hearing. Yeah, it's, it's delightful. Uh, and I realized that dental practices 
don't really understand the value of the information that they have in their practice management systems or, or, or that they're entrusted with. And I never want a dental practice to be met with an angry patient because they're having to deal with all the things that I have to deal with, with identity theft for the rest of their lives, because Mm -hmm. a dentist was kind of blase about protecting that the way that they should. Wow. Now I want to dive in and I want to talk about, you know, just some, some of the foundational understandings and and kind of talk about how dental, you know, technology has really evolved, but before doing that, right. Just having been a victim yourself of that financial and medical identity theft, do you think that influences your approach to how you view cybersecurity in a dental practice? Oh, without a doubt. It's, it shaped how I educate people. It shaped how I look at risk in my own life, in my business, in how I consult with practices and, and help them set things up, you know, systems and protocols and plans and making sure that when something goes wrong, it's a minor inconvenience instead of a major catastrophe. Hmm. Wow. Okay. I, I love that mindset and approach, right? A minor inconvenience, not a major catastrophe because because most of us have, have pretty busy lives. I don't know that I've got room for another major catastrophe. I can I can maybe handle a couple minor inconveniences, but, <laughs> but major stuff I don't want to deal with. So, you know, can you kind of briefly take us through how the technology in dental practices has evolved and, and some of those implications for cybersecurity today? You know, it's funny, I was having this conversation over lunch today. So I was uh, talking to my uh, my executive assistant and she used to be an office manager and I was explaining to her how uh, one of the major practice management systems back when I first started in doing IT, it was kind of the heyday of adding uh, digital x-rays and putting computers in the operatories. You know, back in 2007, 2008, that was kind of when it exploded. And it didn't really work well together. You had to do integrations and extra programs and extra fees and and the stuff was clunky and it didn't really work well together. And now we're looking at cloud systems and, uh, and programs and vendors that just send out text message reminders and you can send a text to have someone pay a bill and you can do a telehealth appointment and there's so many things that are different and i think it's really important to understand that in healthcare you know we're a little bit behind technology wise but in general, technology moves at a significantly faster pace than everything else we're used to in a dental practice. Wow. So, so even if this is something you kind of went through in your office a couple of years ago, it's probably worth revisiting just because of the, the change of technology today and how quickly things do, do evolve. Yeah. Well, and, and during COVID, a lot of vendors popped up you know, innovation came out of that time frame. People were stuck at home and going stir crazy. And so they came up with a lot of really ingenious ways of solving problems. Mm-hmm. So just because it works doesn't mean it's necessarily secure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and that that actually is kind of interesting because, right, HIPAA compliance, you know, you got a lot of vendors that deal with that. They come in the office. They say, oh, this is HIPAA compliant, HIPAA compliant, right? That's one of the questions we've all been trained to ask. And so, you know, is being HIPAA compliant enough? And if the vendors are telling us we're protected, is, is, is that good enough? Or, or is there more that we have to do to protect ourselves? Oh, there's more. So when HIPAA first came out, we were told we just need a business associate agreement. And that was fine for a good 10, 15 years. But the problem is nobody looks at contracts that they sign. And you'd be very surprised to see what's actually in those agreements. A lot of them actually omit language entirely about who's financially liable. So if a vendor causes a data breach or they have a security incident and the doctor has to pay for it, are they going to get paid by the vendor or not to pay for that? And and if you actually read a lot of those contracts, many, many, many vendors in the dental space do not take on that financial burden. So the doctor is left holding the bag and paying for it. Wow. It's kind of scary. And then the second part is vetting the vendors and actually asking the questions, not just trusting them. Hmm. And so, 
I have 13 questions I start with. I mean, like, obviously I have a lot more questions that I ask because I'm a little nosy, um, but also, you know, that's part of a HIPAA risk analysis. You have to vet your vendors and it's, it's part of your risk. I mean, you're, you're entrusting these vendors with very sensitive patient information and the patients are entrusting you as, as the practice with that information. So if you're, you're outsourcing that trust to another vendor, you have to make them prove that they've earned that trust. Okay. And so simply just asking them if they've got these things in place and having the sales rep say, yes, that's not enough, is it? Not anymore, wow. especially with all the things with cybersecurity and ransomware It's and, and the laws that have changed in the last 10, 15 years. You have to do more due diligence hmm. than ever before. Wow. So even kind of around HIPAA then, right? What are some of the, those common misconceptions? Because I think we just touched on one is just because the vendor tells you they're compliant and that doesn't necessarily mean you're protected. Are there some other common misconceptions around HIPAA and data protection in our industry that we should be aware of? Um, some of the myths that I have heard are I have an IT provider and that's enough not. Um, I have heard that just move to the cloud. You don't have to do any of this security stuff. They handle everything. That's not true. You still have printers and scanners and email and people that do things. Uh, and so that's, that's one thing. Um, I've heard that you'll see an incident right away. And the reality is a lot of these hackers now, they're, they're not being noticed in systems for four, five, six months. Wow. So they have a lot of time to find and exploit information. Oh my gosh. Wow. And, and so, right, if you're, do you have kind of an outline in terms of some of the, the, the cybersecurity risk and, and how do you really look at the practice, right? When you're coming in there, what are, what are some of the cybersecurity risks that we face and, and, and how do we protect ourselves against those? Yeah. So, um, I mean, cybersecurity is often intertwined with IT. And most people assume that if you have a really good IT provider, that that's good enough. And the problem has been that not all IT providers are created equal. So just like every other vendor, IT needs to be vetted the same way. And there's actually a minimum standard for what you're supposed to have for security. Hmm. So it, it actually starts with... Um, with four things. So you've got uh, antivirus, you've got uh, internet patch or internet program pat patches and operating system patches. So think of like your, your cell phone, you're running your operating system patches and you're running your app patches. It's the same thing on your computers. It's just internet programs instead of apps. So um, then you've got a business grade firewall, not whatever comes with your internet provider uh and backups and even that standard of care has changed so it used to be that you could just have a cloud backup and call it a day but you know the hackers are now figuring out all that those programs and they're they're circumventing all the security protocols that used to be built in place and so now you're expected to have three different kinds of backups and i know three different backups two different ways one of them completely offline and or off-site so oh I know it's it's a lot and it's overwhelming. And the reality is most most practices can't do this on their own anymore. It's more complicated than it's ever been. Well, right. And, and, and at the end of the show, we want to get to how we can make this easy because I'm already hearing it and I'm feeling a little overwhelmed. And my guess is some of our on people <laughs> are, are listening to this going, ay, 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 what do I do about this? And so Right. This is a, a large amount of compliance and, and it can be costly to not comply with these things also, can it? It can. Um, that's also another myth that I've heard that uh, so many people get fines and penalties and most of the education and, and sales work that is done by people is scare tactics, talking about fines and penalties. The reality is there's only ever been seven dentists in all of the 30, almost 30 years of HIPAA that have ever received a fine or penalty. Hmm only seven and every single one of them deserved it. They, they had egregious negligence everywhere across the board. Uh, but 
it's it's not that cost that I'm worried about. It's always the mitigation. It's the handling mm. of the incident that costs a lot. It's the attorney's fees. It's the replacing credit and debit card numbers. It's mm. you know paying for computer forensics or even just notification letters. I mean, that can get expensive. You could spend $30,000 easily just sending notification letters. Wow. So, so it's really not so much the cost in terms of fines and penalties that are going to come from the regulators. It's really more the cost of, of making this right and restoring your patients and getting the, this issue fixed is really where the cost is going to be. Right. It's unfortunate uh, and it's almost entirely preventable just making a plan. Yeah. Well, do insurance policies cover this? Is this covered in a traditional insurance policy? No, no. So this is actually something that's covered under a cyber liability policy. Those words are very important, cyber liability. And the problem is there have been so many cyber incidents and data breaches over the last decade that a lot of those carriers are restricting what they'll actually cover. So I actually just saw a policy from quite a large dental practice, uh, a pedo office, and they did ortho there too. And they had a $4 million cyber policy, but it only covered $10,000 in ransomware coverage. So the mm. practice thinks they're getting $4 million in, in coverage in a cyber incident, but the most likely cyber incident is ransomware and they're really only covered for 10,000. So that industry is changing right now and it needs to be thoroughly looked at. So, so even if you have one of these cyber policies and you've gone out to your insurance broker, you've heard, hey, this is important. There's a, a high probability that you may not have enough coverage mm -hmm. for some of the breaches that take place then. Yeah, it's it's sad and unfortunate. And that's a, a big part of what I've been doing with clients lately is making sure that, you know, if you're going to take the time and spend the money to get a policy like this, it needs to actually protect you. It's hmm. part of that covering your assets. Wow. OK, so so let's talk about that now. Right. We've certainly laid out the issues. We we know that there's some right. You, you got to be protected because hackers are, are coming for for your data. And so from your experience, what are some of the, the simple yet you know, effective strategies and measures that dental practices can put in place to really start enhancing their cybersecurity? How do we start fixing this problem? So <laughs> I was telling you before we started today, uh, when I first started looking at HIPAA, it was so overwhelming. I almost quit healthcare entirely. And so I, I certainly understand why people get overwhelmed by this. And, you know, my, my darling husband is so calm, cool and collect. And he just said, figure out how to put it in smaller bite-sized pieces. You know, so it's ironic because the National Institute of Standards and Technologies came out with a cybersecurity framework a few years ago, and they've since updated it. Uh, but they really broke this down into five pieces, and it starts with uh, identifying your risks and vulnerabilities. And you do that by getting compliant with HIPAA overall and starting with a, a full risk analysis that includes vetting your vendors and finding out what your risks and vulnerabilities are. And you could do that yourself, but if you want it done really, really well, hire an expert to do it. That's what they're there for. Um, and then protecting your assets is the second point, and that is doing all of the IT security and training your team properly. You know, don't just do the hospital level HIPAA is this acronym and it applies to healthcare providers. And I know dental hates the word provider. So, uh, you know, things like that, you know, good quality education that actually makes sense for your dental practice. Um, step three is detecting anomalies. And most dental practices tend to skip this step because it involves something called penetration or vulnerability testing. And it's it's just scans on your system to find out if someone has hacked in. Mm -hmm. um, step four is how do you respond? And that's really having a really good incident response plan. Um, I recently had a client that had a weird, weird issue. Like I somehow end up having all the weird stuff that finds me they had a, um, a thermostat fail 
near the server room and the whole place overheated and the sprinkler system went off and flooded the whole place, including water flowing right through the server, Ooh. which that's a piece of, a, that's an electronic, <laughs> you know, that's, you don't want water near electrical anything. So, um, Fortunately, in that situation, I didn't specifically spell out that the thermostat was going to fail and the sprinkler was going to flood the server. That was not specific in the incident response plan. But we had other things like wildfire is a big deal in this particular area and uh, office flooding could happen. Water heaters explode all the time in offices. You have water lines everywhere. Like flood is a real possibility in any dental office. And so we had a plan for that. And fortunately, plan A worked and they were back up and running in under 24 hours. Oh my gosh. Wow. In full capacity. But I also, I wasn't worried because I knew if plan A didn't work, we had plans C, D, E, and F ready to go. Yeah. And I saw that doctor a couple of weeks later and she gave me a huge hug and said, I just don't know how these other offices are, are in a position to recover like that. Hmm. And that's actually the fifth step is how do you, how, how do you actually recover? And that's really practicing your plan and making adjustments as necessary. Well, and I think what's interesting about that story you just shared is, is this wasn't even hackers coming in. This, no. this, was, this was just, this was data loss due to flooding, right? Due to water. Freak accident. Yeah. Completely freak accident. Yeah. And, and so really, right, this is really moving beyond the firewall. This is this mm -hmm. is protecting your data, not just from people coming from it, but internal incidences and, and accidents or hard drives failing and being able to get your practice up and running again quickly so that you can be taking care of your patients again. Mm -hmm. the, when I was uh, running my IT company, my goal was if you had to contact me for something, the plan was five to 15 minute resolution. And wow. if I didn't resolve it in five to 15 minutes, that was a much bigger problem. And it usually mm -hmm. involved having to replace a piece of hardware because okay. if you have everything together ahead of time and you've made all these plans and, and, and plan for your failures, it shouldn't take more than five to 15 minutes. And at that point, if it does, we're both losing money. Okay. So the financial incentive is tied mm -hmm. together with the IT company at that point. Yeah. And it, it made such a huge difference in the, the overall productivity and profitability of a practice. Hmm. So how do most practices even find out there's been some kind of an incident, right? In the, mm -hmm. in the story you just shared, right? Thermostat going out, water in your server, you know, you show up at the office. That's a pretty obvious one, I'm, I'm guessing. But, you know, when you're getting hacked or someone's stealing your data or, you know, things like that, how do offices usually find out that there's an issue? The easiest one is if someone gets ransomware, you'll know right away. It happens pretty quickly. Uh, you'll get a message that pops up on your screen and says, we took your data. We're selling it on the dark web unless you pay us this amount in this much time. That's that's the easiest one. Can you just pause there for a moment yeah. and dive a little deeper? Because maybe some of our listeners just aren't aware of what ransomware is. They've sure. maybe heard that term on the news. So, so can you talk a little bit about what ransomware actually is? Yeah. So think of it like a computer virus on steroids. Okay. So it's, it's actually something called a type of malware. And it like 96% of the time it comes in through email. So it's going to come in through an attachment or a link that's in an email that's bad. And it will run a program on your computer. And because everything's connected in a dental office, it will run on all of your computers and your server and all of your equipment. And it will pop up a window on your screen that locks everything. It basically encrypts all of your data and holds it hostage. So it's oh holding it for ransom. That sounds awful. These people are truly, truly awful. And there, there is a special place for these people when, when they die. But wow. um, for now, this is just the sad reality that we live in and we have to protect ourselves from this. So, I mean, you're telling me this is like walking into your office one day, firing up your computers and you're greeted with a pop-up screen that basically says you can't get any of your data unless you pay us a lot of money. It happens more than you think. <laughs> that is terrifying, Amy. Absolutely terrifying. Huh. And it's almost entirely preventable. 
uh, and you can even make a plan for that. I mean, obviously, if, if you have someone that's really determined and and they're really, really good or, you know, they're, they're generally not solo guys living in their mom's basement anymore. They're highly organized and they're working for their country. You know, they're Russia and China and North Korea. And, you know, pretty much every country has some kind of state sponsored hacking ring mm -hmm. and they like to mess with each other. And unfortunately, we're all suffering because of it. Yeah. Well, and they're really going for the easy wins. They're not looking for the systems that, that actually take some time, effort and energy to hack through because their whole goal is they want to do this quickly and move on to the next one. Right. right? The more time and energy it takes for them to break into a system. That's downtime for them and they're losing money, so to speak. Exactly. Exactly. They they want the low-hanging fruit, the gazelle at the back of the herd. Like that the whole goal with everything I talk about is don't be the low-hanging fruit. Just hmm. you don't have to strive to be much higher than that, but you gotta do something now. Okay. So so what are some of those those steps that you can take so that you aren't the low-hanging fruit? So obviously training. Yeah, making sure your team isn't doing things uh, unintentionally that are going to give you ransomware or cause an incident. Um, making sure you have the antivirus, the patches, the backups, the firewall, uh, you know, encrypted email, things like that. Making sure all your little mobile devices are locked or that you don't use those. Uh, making sure you have good vendors, uh, things like that. Strong passwords. I know everyone hates passwords, but I saw a statistic on passwords that an eight character password that's got upper and lower case and symbols in it will take about eight hours to crack. Hmm. But if you change that to a 12 character password with that same complexity, it will take about 34,000 years. Wow. So something as simple as adding four characters to a password. Oh my gosh. Wow. So, so we're, we're right now that's easy to do, right? That, 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 those are the kinds of things we're looking for as busy professionals or what are those easy things that can be done? So, wow, that, that's amazing. You said eight hours to 34,000 years. Wow. wow. <laughs> I know I was shocked too. <laughs> that, that is mind blowing. And so, right, when it comes to security, you know, is this something that dental practices should actually be budgeting for and include in their budget planning? Is just a line item for cybersecurity and those risks? Is this part of the budgeting of a dental practice now that we really should be looking at? Absolutely. Uh, and it's it's been a frustrating journey for me because most practices lump this into their 6% miscellaneous budget that was outlined decades ago. Hmm. And uh, it, it really needs to be separated out. You know, cybersecurity needs to be a combination of uh, HIPAA and IT. And those things together will make sure that you're not that low hanging fruit. And if you budget appropriately for that, it's going to pay for itself in your ability to produce and to not spend time on preventable tech downtime. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So just having a budget and, and realizing that this is part of the, the world we live in today, uh, the same way we pay for internet and everything else, we need to just be paying for that cybersecurity budget to make sure your, your data and your assets are protected then. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and we've kind of been touching on this a little bit, but right. How do you really balance that need for robust cybersecurity and also maintaining the, the user friendliness and efficiency so that you don't get in the way of a dental practice operations, right? How do we make sure we don't make this overly complex? It has been a challenge for sure. Uh, some of it is because dental technology tends to be a little behind the rest of healthcare. But the good news is a lot of that security is being ingrained in a lot of newer technologies. Hmm. So had you asked me 10 years ago what I thought about cloud practice management for dental, I would have scrunched up my face and said, absolutely not. It's not there yet. It's not ready. It's not safe enough. But now I'm starting to look at a few vendors and, and I've made referrals. I'm okay with it as long as they answer all the questions. And I think having that security built into some of these platforms makes it a lot easier for practices to adopt as part of their workflow. And then it's not so overwhelming. It's just built in. 
Yeah. And so this is really the work that you do when you come into a practice is it, it, take me through what you do when you when you get a call from a practice or if someone listening today. All right, man, I, I, I just really want to figure out what my practice looks like. Take me through what you do for a practice. Sure. Well, first, I want to say HIPAA is several thousand pages of regulation and not all of it applies to dental practices. So we've had to kind of break it down into what applies, what doesn't, what's reasonable and appropriate and kind of go from there. And every practice is unique, just like every patient is unique. And so I usually start with uh, a lot of questions. I ask what they've done, where they're at, where they think they're at uh, in terms of security and privacy and and then we do a class. And during that class, it usually comes out from the rest of the team that what the doctor or the office manager thought that things were happening, the team isn't actually doing hmm. and or vice versa. And so it, it just allows a really safe place for the team to have that open discussion and have me there as the expert to say, well, what if we did it this way? And then it will accomplish the same goal without finger pointing and yelling at each other. And then everybody feels like they've all had a say in it. When really at the end of the day, I got exactly what I wanted out of it. <laughs> I got them to do what they needed to do. <laughs> um, but, you know, it became a team effort. And so people adopt it better at that point. Um, I am more of a, a white glove approach because if I gave a practice a list and said, go write these policies and procedures for technology and security, they would roll their eyes at me and set it on a shelf and never do it. So I do all of those, those pieces of paper for them. I make sure they have the contingency plans just in case, and they have the policies and procedures if there's ever an HR problem. Um, and, you know, making sure they have the right consent forms, because if there ever is a complaint by a patient, you have to have the right paperwork in place. Um, and then same with vendors. I vet all the vendors and make sure you have the right cyber insurance. And then if there is a problem, you know, we have all our ducks in a row and they're not wandering off in the farm somewhere, you know, where we've got a plan in place and plans B, C, D, and E, and F as well. So, you know, mm -hmm. I, I still do have little incidents even with clients, but again, they're minor inconveniences. Well, and I think that's what I've, I keep hearing throughout talking with you is it's not necessarily that you can prevent every single thing from happening, but what you can do is you can be prepared. And that's what the regulators are looking for is, do you have a plan for when this happens? And have you, have you followed best practices to protect yourself? And really, you know, have you put up those, those, I'll use the word firewall, but right. Have you put up those defenses to protect your practice? And then that in and of itself is a defense for you and your practice, being able to say, hey, I, I followed all the best practices. We were doing all the best things, but someone got through anyway, and here's our plan for dealing with it. In fact, there was actually a law passed in 2020 that you know kind of got ignored because we were all dealing with something else during that time frame. Uh, but <laughs> we were a little busy, you know, just trying to reopen practices. I, I've um, suppressed all those memories. No, I'm trying to forget it. <laughs> it was it was a rough couple of years. Um, but during that time, a law was passed that basically said if you show that you're actually attempting to do these things with both HIPAA and with cybersecurity and something somehow still manages to get past all those defenses you put in place, then it's considered an accident and not negligence. Wow. So you kind of get a, a get out of jail free card, but you have to have those things in place ahead of time. You can't just throw it in the day after an incident happens and, and hope that the investigators will let you go. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. So really by, by following the, the right protocols, doing the right things, then if something happens, it's accident, not negligence, right? Well, what a big differentiator too, for the, the practice and everyone involved. It is. It, it was huge. When that happened, I was like, whoo, this is about time because I was so frustrated with seeing the practices being treated exactly the same in that situation as you know, if, if a practice that had been trying got ransomware, despite all their best efforts, they just had a freak accident, then they were treated exactly the same by the investigators, by patient lawsuits, lawyers, all of those people 
as a doctor that had never done anything with HIPAA. Yeah. Right. It just doesn't feel fair. fair. Yep. No, it's not fair. So this, this law in particular, I am thrilled by that. Hmm. Well, and I would say that that gives the the doctors and and hopefully, you know, you as listeners encourages you to get out there and, and put those basics in place so that you know you are protected, you know, not just your practice and, and, and removing yourself from being the low hanging fruit, but also protected in case there is that accident now so that you can actually defend and say, hey, we, we did all the things we were supposed to. Exactly. Wow. So can you walk us through a case study of maybe someone you've worked through and what the practice looked like or some of the things you discovered when you first started working with them and where they are now and some of the solutions that you're able to put in place for them? Sure. Um, Let's start with the very first one I did. It was the most expensive one and it was what I call the best worst case scenario. And, um, you know, as a side note, I've done over 400 data breach investigations in the dental space. None of them have received fines or penalties or patient lawsuits or gone bankrupt or closed their doors or anything. They also weren't clients proactively. They were all after the event that contacted me. So this office was one of those. She had had my business card for a good six months and didn't call. And over Christmas break, someone took advantage of the Uh, basement door having the hinge pins on the outside of the door. And they popped the hinge pins out and took the door off the hinges and they got in and they had access to 35 years worth of patient records, paper records, employee records, back in the days when you could ask for all kinds of information. Uh, And they took the server and the server was not encrypted and it couldn't be encrypted. And the IT guy came in and replaced it with the same hardware, the same unencrypted server. And every step of the way I was faced with, you know, I don't want to do it that way. I don't want to notify the patients by paper mail. That costs too much money. I'm just going to send an email. And it wasn't the message that was supposed to be sent. Uh, It was just, we got broken into, the server was stolen, we'll let you know when we can reopen. How mortifying to to write Mm. that. It's such an embarrassment to say that. I mean, that could have been crafted a lot better that didn't make the practice look terrible. And I feel like I missed my calling in public relations, honestly. <laughs> uh, and in in this kind of office and in this particular situation, and, and I do think it's important to note, it was a very tiny three operatory practice. Hmm. And they ended up having to spend a lot of money on physical security. And during the investigation, it turns out that they had outdated computer operating systems. They needed to replace every single computer in the office. The IT guy refused to acknowledge that having a firewall in the office was a necessity. He flat out said, I don't believe in firewalls. And I think encrypted email is a scam. So he got fired (laughs) and, um, And then we managed to get through all of it and the investigators put them on a three-year plan to prove that they were continuing to improve uh, privacy and security in this practice uh, to avoid a fine or a penalty. And fortunately, no patients sued um, and no patients left the practice. They, They were able to restructure everything and talk about it differently uh, to their patients to let them know that, yeah, your information's already compromised and that's our fault, but we're not going to let that happen again. Hmm. Um, But unfortunately, in the end, this practice paid several hundred thousand dollars out of pocket. Wow. And once again, it sounds like these were all preventable things Mm -hmm. that had they done a little bit of preventative work up front they would have had an accident, not a, not a a breach and not negligence. Absolutely. But, you know, we don't know what we don't know. And Mm -hmm. to be fair, this was 2013. And during that time was kind of the transition between HIPAA privacy rule and security rule. And dental was trying really hard as an industry to become exempt from a lot of those things. And they kept delaying it and delaying it. And instead of just embracing it, Hmm. the Navy SEALs have a phrase I love. It's embrace the suck. 
And this does, I mean, it truly does. It is a horrible thing that we all have to deal with now, but if we embrace it, it actually takes less time, less mental energy, and definitely less money yeah. in, the, in the grand scheme of things. Well, I know just right thinking about it, right? You talk about embrace the suck, right? It's almost kind of scary to mm -hmm. think about, you know, someone coming in and looking at my systems and looking at my processes and saying, hey, you're secure or you're not secure. Like that in and of itself is terrifying. But the reality is by doing that, you actually add a lot of protection to your office. And so embracing the suck can actually really help build a strong foundation for your practice. Yeah. I will also say with that, that I've had a lot of doctors over the years tell me, I don't want you in my office. I don't want you looking at anything until I do all the things. And I would argue mm. the opposite, because even if you're 20%, because no one is 100%. I, I want to make that clear. No one will ever be 100% compliant or secure. But you're working on a path toward as close to that number as you can get. Hmm. And so even if you're at 20%, but you're showing due diligence that you're trying and you're actively making continuous steps to be better every, every day, every year, every purchase that you make, every change that you make, that goes a really long way when hmm. there is an incident. Wow. So simply, right, once again, documenting those things, showing that you are working with people like you in, in your office and and really, right, building that, that, that data so that you're saying, hey, here's what we've been working towards goes a long way, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I've had offices where they've had nothing in place or they bought a, a DIY manual years ago and it's still in the shrink wrap on a shelf collecting dust. And, you know, I go in and I get a good 85% dialed in just in the first three months. Hmm. And after that, we're making little improvements and constantly improving every year, every time there's a change. And it, it makes a big difference. So the other thing I'm hearing is this is not a one-time event for your dental practice either. This is an ongoing process. Am I hearing that correctly? Absolutely. So I, I think all the listeners really need to understand there's a big difference in how you handle risk management and consultants and even IT than how you did even five, 10 years ago. So I know Everyone hates recurring payments on anything, but this is something that you should consider because it's more ingratiated in your day-to-day -day activities. So most of my clients have me on some kind of retainer where they can call me if there's a little problem. And they do often. It could be, um, you know, one I get a lot is uh, I gave the patient the tablet to fill out the health history forms and it had the previous patient's name still on it and all of their information pre-populated. And it's like, well, that's a people problem. Let's fix this. This is easy. But to be able to have someone call me and say, hey, I'm thinking about this new vendor. What do you know about them? Can you help me out? it then becomes someone that's an extension of your team where you can have that phone a friend experience instead of figuring it out after the fact that you made a bad choice. Yeah. Well, right. Having done 400 data breaches and who knows how many dental practices proactively, right. You're probably familiar with a lot of the vendors out there. And so, right. Okay. A simple phone call of, Hey, I'm thinking about using this person can result in a, yeah, go ahead. They're great. I've done the vetting or stay far away from them. You know, I try not to say those words. I think okay. that all vendors have the opportunity to be better and to prove that they are mm. truly HIPAA compliant instead of just saying that they are. Okay. I have a, a process that is not that difficult. And um, I've worked with another cybersecurity colleague that works in dental on the other side of the country as well. And, you know, our, our systems mirror each other. And so this is a standard protocol that is done in every other regulated environment. But for whatever reason, uh, the dental industry, they've shied away from it uh, for years and years. In fact, I, I had threats of lawsuits just for simply asking questions of some of these wow. vendors. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, fortunately I have thick skin. I'm like, great. So you're threatening to sue me because I asked simple questions on behalf of these doctors that they're legally obligated to ask. That doesn't seem very fair. Mm -hmm. um, 
the good news is a lot of vendors are starting to recognize that they need to be transparent. Hmm. So this is a good thing. Okay. So, you know, let's say, as we start wrapping up here, let, let's, let's pull out your crystal ball and in mine, Usually it's a little fuzzy, but, uh, you know, as you look forward, what are some emerging, you know, trends that you see or some possible threats that, that we should be aware of, or right. What do you see on the horizon in, in this space for, for everyone out there? Um, I think a couple of things, uh, artificial intelligence is a big one right now. There's people using things like chat GPT and the practices incorrectly. Uh, I had one that, put all of the patient information into chat GPT, like their address and, and their type of appointment they had and said, write a dismissal letter to this patient. We can't do that, by the way. <laughs> that's not what we, that's not what chat GPT is intended for. And you can ask it for a generic template letter and then input your information. That's the right way to do it. Um, there are a lot of vendors out there that are starting to use AI and they are really cool and can can offer a lot of help. But again, there are vendors that need to be vetted properly um, because all of that digital information moving around is kind of scary if it's not done properly. I would say also with that crystal ball, people is still one of the biggest risks hmm. because people aren't being trained properly and they they watch the same training year after year after year and they don't pay attention at all because it's not specific to their job role. It's not specific to a dental practice and it doesn't make sense for them. Hmm. Wow. Wow. Well, very, very, very interesting. So the, the last piece I'd like to, to touch on before some closing thoughts here are, you know, a lot of the dental entrepreneurs I work with are within five to 10 years of exiting their, their dental practice. Should they have a different approach or a different mindset in terms of thinking about cybersecurity? Is there anything in addition or, you know, even, you know, being able to show a more robust policy, does that help with the valuation of the practices and, and the new buyer coming in? What are some concerns and considerations for that doctor exiting their, their practice in the next five or 10 years? What should they be considering? Oh, it's a big deal. Um, so there's a couple things I want to mention here. Um, if you are looking to sell or you're gearing up for sale, then you absolutely want to make sure that you're planning to have risk management as part of your budget hmm. because the buyers are wanting to know that the practice will thrive not just with the number of patients, number of new patients, what their lifetime value is, those things that are calculated, but also is the practice going to shut down because the computers are old and crummy and there's no security? And am I going to have to spend a whole bunch of money to replace all of this just to be able to function on a day-to-day -day basis? Um, I've also seen a lot of brokers that are asking specifically about uh, certain risk management programs in place, uh, because if they're currently in place, then the new owner won't have to spend as much to get that practice up to par mm. and wow. retrain the team and retain the team. So I've seen that as well. Um, I have also seen certain situations like security situations. Um, this actually happened to my former dentist. He decided to close his practice and go work for special needs kids at a hospital. I was really sad about the whole thing, but I'm really glad for him. I'm very happy. He's thrilled. He loves what he does now. And um, he was kind of a bad business owner, if I'm going to be honest. <laughs> Great clinician, terrible business owner. And um, he had a couple of people come in to look at the practice after hours. So uh, team members didn't know what was going on. And one of these doctors was less than honest. And he was there to distract the doctor and plug in a thumb drive to try to export the patient list and contact information so that he could try to steal those patients instead of paying for the patient list. Wow. Oh People are God. terrible. <laughs> wow. Wow. And you would think that that would never happen. I've actually heard of it happen in quite a few offices. Oh my gosh. Wow, Amy, that's just crazy. Oh I get the God. weird stuff. <laughs> yes, really you do. But, you know, you, you also are out there, right? It's the weird stuff that will get you, though, right? It's the things you're not ready for that you haven't planned and prepared for. So, wow, 
Wow, Amy, I, I know I certainly have a much better understanding of, of how to make protecting the assets of a dental practice just a little bit easier and certainly have more peace of mind and a, a starting point for protecting the practice would be would should be to work with professionals like you. I don't want to figure this all out. It's too much. I want someone to come in there and really help me do this and and certainly feel a little ter you know, terrified at the at the the things that can go wrong, but also very, very optimistic that a plan can be put in place to protect the practice. And so before we sign off here, any closing thoughts? How do we get in touch with you? And 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 you know, just like I said, really kind of some closing thoughts on on this whole topic of protecting your practice and really making sure that you're prepared for cybersecurity attacks. Sure. Well, I mean, just don't be paralyzed. Start somewhere. Start small. And it's it's kind of like everything else. If you start small, it'll snowball into you've got your your act together. You know, you'll wake up one day and realize like, hey, I've got a really good plan in place. I'm, I'm not as worried about this. And that's a very freeing moment for everyone. So mm -hmm. don't be afraid to take that first step. Change a password. Make it a longer length with some characters in it. And, and that goes a really long way. Um, as far as contacting me, uh, my email address is probably the best. It is education at copperpennyconsulting.com. Uh, I am very active on social media. It is all under Copper Penny Consulting or under Amy Wood. Um, I'm more active on Facebook and Instagram because I'm a elder millennial, so I barely qualify as a millennial at this point. Um, but so yeah, I tend to be more on Facebook, but you're welcome to reach out to me that way. I'm happy to answer any questions. And if you do want those 13 questions on uh, what to start asking your vendors, I'm happy to share those. Just email me or reach out to me through social media. Excellent. For our listeners, just put the link down there for Copper Penny so you can check out Amy there. And I would encourage you to reach out. Amy, once again, thank you for being an amazing guest and, and just really sharing your insights and knowledge with us. Thank you so much for having me. So and thank you to everyone for tuning in. And we'll see you again here soon on the Dental Wealth Nation show. You've been listening to Dental Wealth Nation. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from the show. Join us next time as we pull back the curtain to reveal the often hidden advice and strategies used by today's most successful individuals and families and help maximize your net worth so you can take even better care of the people you love. Till next time, make sure to hit the website at dentalwealthnation.com. 